earthlings, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm East Forest, and this week I'm coming to you with a conversation I had with Porangi. I really hope that's how I, I've had to practice to say his name, and I, I worked with him in person, and I am to believe that the accent goes at the end. Porangi. 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 I want to say Porangi. Porangi. But it's not that. That sounds like Ferengi. It's absolutely not that because he is a scholar and a gentleman, an amazing man. Uh, we crossed paths down in Boulder, Utah, in my my hometown, and it was funny because he's someone who was popping up on the radar, on my radar, and Rada's radar for a while. Like several months back, someone had emailed us, and he was coming through town to do a show, and we were out of town, and then. You know, someone else later on is on the road and we're like, hey, you should meet this guy, Porangi. And that went on, this went on like five or six times. And then eventually someone's like, again, hey, um, you should meet him. He's he's coming to play a town a, a concert uh, down in your town <laughs> with Dirtwire. So then it was like, well, shit, now it's, we're going to literally bump into each other. So it was, it was meant to be, it was awesome. And I think it was meant to be because... Uh, really clicked with him. And he's just a really down-to-earth guy who's doing some really amazing, honorable work. And I got to see some of his live performance uh, that they did there. And he's really cool, very musical, very live, a lot of looping and and creating it on the spot with instruments and uh, had a very strong kind of earthy element with some beats. It's cool stuff. So uh, I wanted to get deeper into just his process and, and, and what he does. So we will get right into that. But first, a little business. Ramdas came out, and today, at least when I'm recording this and when I'm releasing this, it came out at number two on Billboard um, on the New Age chart, which is cool. I mean, on the downside, it's number two behind the piano guys as number one. And it's like, if you look at their press photo, that's all I'm going to say. Check it out, the piano guys. But number three was Cigarose and their Luminal Sleep uh, album, which I'm a huge Cigarose fan. So, you know, number two, but with our colleague Cigarose uh, right there next to us, that's pretty, pretty cool. So thank you for everyone who out there who's streaming it and sharing it and, and buying it and gifting it and just sharing the movement. It's making a big difference. As you can see, it's making a big difference in other people taking notice and just sharing and spreading these messages that Ramdas is putting out there. So thank you and thank you for continuing to do that. I've really been enjoying the social media shares and what I see out there. It's just I love it. I'm on so we're all in this together and keep it up. The East Forest Retreat is coming up September 26th through 29th in Southern Utah in Boulder, Utah, that same place that Porengi and I hung out and met. Uh, as he would tell you, it's an amazing place. So you can come camp, you can bring an RV, and we've got a few more um, spots on site. There's some bunk rooms and shared rooms, which you can take them if you want. They're awesome. Um, And a couple spots off campus just across the street that are totally kind of luxury and private if you want that too. We can give you more information if you want that. Just hit us up at info at eastforest.org. Um, I'll also be at the Vancouver Film Festival on September 9th in British Columbia. It's really awesome. I'm going to be playing music before the Becoming Nobody, which is the new Ramdas documentary that they're doing a premiere up there. And I'm Loving Awareness song is the title credit song in the movie. 
So I'm going to go up there on September 9th, I think it's 6 p.m. as part of the Vancouver Film Festival and heading out to Burlington, Vermont in the middle of September. And right after that, I will be uh, at the Love Yoga Fest in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So all those have tickets. And then, you know, moving in October, it's the Science and Non-Duality Conference. I'll be doing a ceremony concert there. All that's at eastforest.org slash tour. Uh, you can review this podcast. It makes a huge difference, uh, positive reviews. And you can do that wherever you listen to podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts, where they kind of feature the reviews and the ratings. You can do that while I'm talking right now. But we got some new music coming out in the next few weeks. Several remixes are going to be coming out of the Ram Dass material. I believe the first one, well, it's kind of a secret. I can just say it. It's by Hammock. Hammock's an amazing band that mostly does some pretty dope ambient music and they did two remixes so that's going to be coming out first and we have more we got some b-sides and more and more and more some exciting things in the works i can't talk about and we also have some videos coming out which are really really cool we've been uh, having worked on for quite a long time and it's been a beautiful process so stay tuned on the social medias or the internets the series of tubes known as the world wide web Okay, let's get into this. This is Porengi. I just want to dive into this. I mean, so yeah. you've been out there on the road for a while and you've been doing a range of stuff. Now, I mean, you play concerts, obviously, which I saw, and you also do workshops and you're kind of like walking your own path in this. I mean, what's it, what's it been like out there lately trying to, to, to sort of, you know, cause you're walking in a world as am I, where it's, how do we put this? You're inside a machine a capitalist machine <laughs> right. that has this right. inherent dysfunctionality, but you're doing <clears throat> totally. something different. I mean, wh- how's that friction working lately? Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, it's how how do you walk through you know and integrate interface? I should say, I guess this this experience of working in the in the machine and without losing your own soul in it, you know, and keeping your own integrity and the integrity of your art form and and the mission. Which you know, I, th- I think you and I share that uh, kind of sim- similar common thread in that. In which, you know, for for me, music is about transformation, not really entertainment. Um, that's really core to to everything that I do. So it's been it's been an interesting dance. You know, we in the last year we finally have gotten a few team members. You know, other people to help us, which has been tremendous, and has just really helped to tilt the the balance of things because it was getting to the point where it was just my wife and I doing everything, and you know, she's help take on a lot of the things, which of course is insane in and of itself, because, you know, it's like this double-edged sword when you work with your, your beloved, um, because, you know, you kind of like, where do you help prevent the relationship and the work from collapsing into one thing? Um, and so it's easy to kind of get, yeah, very burnt out from that process. And at the same time, it's also amazing because you're traveling with your, your, your partner and, you know, it's, you have all these adventures together and that, that's really exhilarating, but yeah. So that's been a dance in and of itself. So this last year we got some help and these assistants have been incredible. Just, you know, different people helping with different aspects. And that's helped us really up level a lot of the work we're doing. 
So right now it feels like we're in this interesting place. We're just kind of getting comfortable and dialed in with all of that kind of side of it, the the very 3D logistics yeah. systems, you know, how to get your email list all dialed and your social media and blah, 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 blah. So that part feels amazing to have that support. And I think the piece now that's really interesting to dial in is now working with a booking agent is finding, you know, yeah, how how do you negotiate with people where they're, you know, they're very used to and all this, all the, the machine is, is geared towards selling alcohol ultimately. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really what it's about. It's like, we're basically just the, the cover, the face to distract people while they're basically taking, you know, getting wasted, you know, kind of getting people really zombied out and taking their money. So all the money's made there at the bar. Um, and so I'm just, I've had a really clear message actually it was, it was about, um, I think it was about eight years ago now. Yeah, about eight years ago, I was doing some ceremonial work myself out on the land back in Sedona, where we live. And um, at the time, I was directing a 10-piece Brazilian band that I had built from the ground up from a community group into a professional group. And, you know, we were playing a lot of um, a lot of my own arrangements and we would play some covers, but it was totally through through the lens of bringing the drums and how the drums can really liberate people and get people moving and connecting through their bodies. Um, and so in that process, uh, in that ceremony, I was shown all my ancestors and they were really, they were weeping in this vision that came to me. And I saw like all of them, like all the lines of, of drummers and master drummers all the way back to my, my most ancient ancestors were there looking in this line at me. Um, and it was in a mushroom ceremony. And as they were looking at me, they were weeping and I, and they communicated to me that the sadness, the grief that was being felt all the way through my lineage of this art form of this, this sacred art form of, of keeper, keepers of the drums and the medicine that that is and the, what that's really intended for and how that had been in a way, for lack of a better word, like being prostituted um, in this process of, of playing in these bars and clubs. And at the time, you know, we, that was just where you play, you know, that's kind of all I knew at that time. Those were the venues, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd get the occasional performing arts center or something like that, which is great, but usually just for gigging and making sure all 10 members of the band are getting paid and keep doing the thing. You have to play in those kind of venues and, and especially like Carnaval and like Brazil Fest and like, you know, these different events in America, which are kind of like where you make your most money is you have to throw on these big parties and it's very much, you know, drink caipirinha and get wasted and whatever. And, and I was just so, it's so out of like alignment for me and I'd already had so much conflict, but this vision came. And so it was so clear to me. So from that moment on, I, made the clear distinction where we wouldn't play those kind of gigs anymore. It was really hard. And well, I mean, um, it's, it's gotta be hard just to make money with 10 people <laughs> in a band. Totally. I mean, totally no matter how exactly. much drinking is going on. Yeah, it, 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 precisely. And so it was around that time, you know, for another couple of years, that project continued, but it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. And like, it couldn't work like that. So that was when it really started to transition. And I, I let that go after, you know, 10 plus years of putting my, life, soul, and blood, sweat, tears into it, and really shifted all my energy into my solo project, which has been, you know, around looping. And that's been um, really incredible because when I did that, it was like taking all the knowledge that I have of, of all these different instruments and all the parts and, you know, really conducting a larger ensemble. And then me basically creating all those parts on the fly um, and holding all that and then arranging it and then, you know, composing and being the producer and the engineer all at the same time, you know, which you're, you're familiar with and you do a similar thing in your, in your performances. So it's crazy. You kind of suddenly you're wearing all the hats 
um, yeah. which is a blessing and a curse, of course, <laughs> you know, so it's been amazing though. So as a result of that, <clears throat> I've been able to take this project on the road, tour it, and now, you know, be touring internationally. And it's just my wife and I, as I said, and now little by little, we're bringing on more members, but it's fun, kind of funny is like, as I've been in this journey, I've been seeing like, now I can have more discretion. Um, it's not that you can always avoid places where there's going to be alcohol present in some way, shape or form, but it's definitely the majority is not. And so we're able to really work with, with organizations, with nonprofits, with people who we really believe in movements that we really want to support and bring our music there to the forefront. And it's not to say you don't go into the belly of the beast as well, which is where it's also very much needed. And so, you know, some festivals and whatnot, you know, we bring that and, and it's really incredible. And I've kind of come to a, a new understanding and relationship with that commitment um, that it's part of my journey is to bring these sounds, these frequencies into some of these places where they would never exist otherwise. And to bring that intentionality and to really create ceremony, if you will, you know, in that sense of sacred space in these places where it's just really, really low, low energy, if that, you know what I mean, just kind of really dense, um, a lot of alcohol, a lot of, a lot of ganja, you name it. Great example was just two years ago when I first did my first Sundance and I came out of ceremony and we'd been booked at a festival up in NorCal and we were booked, you know, I'd opened up for Rising Appalachia which my, my beautiful sisters. And, you know, we played this show up in Arcata and the producer of the show, he saw us and he was like, oh, you guys are great. You'd be perfect for this show, you know, this festival that I produce. And it's like, it's awesome. It's up in the Redwoods. You know, we heard Redwoods and we hear like, oh, cool. And he saw us play with Rising App. So he gets our vibe. So we just assumed it was cool and we said yes to it. So fast forward, I'm like in Sundance ceremony, getting out of that, like literally a few days after we fly to NorCal to do the show that we committed to. And it turns out it's just a total alcohol scene on the river kind of thing with like tons of weed and tons of beer, every kind of beer you can imagine. And it was just like, wow. So going into that totally open, you know, and like my wounds still healing and <laughs> just jumping into that. It was super intense. And then it was just like, okay, this is what we're here to do. And fortunately, the stage was in the middle of the Redwoods. And I remember just like connecting to those tree spirits and just like blasting these people with like the didge, you know, right out the gates and seeing people just like stopped in their tracks, like didn't know what hit them, like deer in headlights. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, was, it was really profound. You know, a lot of people started weeping. There was all kinds of catharsis happening in that process. And so just kind of getting that message, like, okay. You know, it's supposed to be there and do that. This is, and this is part of it. Yeah, so, yeah. it takes a lot. <laughs> it takes a lot as a performer to, you know, when you're doing music that's about something truthful. Well, I don't want to say truthful, but like there's a mm. certain authenticity that takes a vulnerability and mm -hmm. I don't know, yeah. it, it, it takes more out of you. And when you're already fighting, like you're swimming upstream in some of these situations, um, I try to avoid them as much as I can now. And mm -hmm. I think it probably comes off as being like a diva and you're more just like, look, I just, I'm just trying to set the stage uh, mm -hmm. literally so that it works. You know, that it just, it's a good show that everybody's getting their money's worth and it really connects with people as opposed mm -hmm. to like, there's all these systems and things happening at the gig that are just fighting against you know, what you have to offer essentially. Right. And I don't know about you, but sometimes like, in those festival situations, what's it may be like a really receptive audience, but it's so much more work to, uh, you know, get there and, and you're there for several days and you're usually outside and there's usually lots of different energy here and there and systems are kind of this, this and that it's, 
you know, it's more work than your average gig. Totally. Uh, and I, I, I mean, do you like going to festivals? Do you like playing them or does it jazz you up or is it, does it feel kind of like a drain? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it really depends on the festival. Um, we just now literally just drove out yesterday out of Beloved, which, you know, is an, a festival that probably one of my favorites in the whole world. I mean, it's an incredible festival that has been kept small, you know, under, you know, about 3,000 or less people. And it's held here in the forest, you know, near heading out towards the coast outside past Eugene. Yeah, I went you there know. a couple of years ago. I played. Yeah something there i think it was at uh, they had like a healing stage okay yeah 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 you know in for me though this festival of of them like i left there feeling more charged which is pretty rare mm. with festivals it's usually pretty drained mm -hmm. but the mm -hmm. vibe there you know there's no alcohol at this festival which is one of the things i really appreciated the the vibe is very um you know there's some, there's definitely psychedelics but it's definitely not like everyone's it's very family oriented it's very it feels very balance and grounded if, if you will it, you know relatively speaking and the intention behind you know the main producer elliot he's an amazing human being and and his his sense of um aesthetics is really unbelievable he, he curates everything with such care the whole musical lineup um is so carefully thought through and the placement of everything so you have electronic music but you also have a ton of live world music really soulful music and so it's so eclectic and people go there, not so much with the idea of like, oh, I'm going there because this person's on the lineup. They kind of go knowing that they're going to see things that they wouldn't see otherwise, but they're, they're going to love. And I really appreciate right. that. Yeah. It builds community in a, in a whole other way. So for me, I, like that kind of idea is like inspiring, like that kind of festival and concept of a festival, I feel is really, really something okay. special. Yeah, but on the You're flip optimistic. side, yeah, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> you know, as much as I can be, there's definitely, there's definitely others that are like, wow, man, that was so rough. <laughs> so, but this is definitely the exception to the norm, I guess, if you will. Well, um, what, I, what's a, what's a miracle solution for you as far as you know, how you'd like to interface with the world with your music? Like how much would you like to be out there or if at all, or how would you like to be creating it? Where would you, how would you like it to be resonating in the world? Hmm. Yeah. Great question. I, I feel what's the miracle solution. So I, I guess in, in an ideal world, I, I think I could see myself, you know, playing six months out of the year would be like my ideal year. Um, and then the other six months would be really dedicated, or at least four of those other six would be dedicated to making music and being able to just be totally, you know, in the studio, you know, in a place in nature, either back in Sedona in our home or, or, you know, there in Boulder, you know, with you guys or, you know, somewhere like that, where we are able to create with other artists and really get deep into the process and allow music to be birthed through that otherwise is very hard to do when you're just constantly in the, in the grind, you know, on the road. Um, and then the other two months would be just downtime, you know, straight up, like leave, go travel, go into retreat, you know, do Vipassana, have that kind of deep recharge, you know, go visit my mother in a monastery in Brazil, those kind of things. Oh. Um, your yeah. mother's in a monastery. She's a nun? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And my mom's a monk. She lives down in Brazil in, the, in a spiritual community there. How old was she when she decided to become a monk? My mom fully renounced. I think it must be now eight years ago. But she's been in the community for nearly 20. Um, yeah. And she finally decided to you know go all in and fully renounce everything, which was, which was a tricky one, you know, because my mom, my mom, uh, you know, my my mother first came to the United States with me when, when I was little, when I was about, you know, young and 
would I bounce back and forth with her to Brazil and and back to the states and Mexico, and she finally kind of established herself. Did her did a graduate degree here in the United States, actually in Navajo and Diné bilingual education, and in that process became very close to the tribes and subsequently became a sun dancer, which I used to go with her as support her as a little kid uh, up into my teens, and so she has that whole background, if you will where she was a pipe carrier and would lead ceremony and, and specifically pour, you know, inipi sweats, damascal. Wait, that's, um, that's Lakota, is it? It's, it's Lakota and it's, it's, it's found in other tr- lineages as well. But yeah, the inipi specifically, that is Lakota. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the purification lodge, like the damascal, as, you know, as it's known in Mexico, it's like also used by, you know, Azteca, Mexica, various other people have used that form of a lodge. Um, and up on the Navajo Nation, it's actually also those ceremonies have been shared and very intentionally and been brought back. So where I Sundance, for instance, is up in the four corners is up on the Navajo Nation near Wheatfields. Little Big Medicine is the name of that Sundance. And it's and it's held by the chief and his first lady, our Diné, you know, they're Navajo. Um, yeah. So just to say, like, it's definitely more intertribal. It's, a lot of it has been kind of sharing these ceremonies that have been lost or that have been, or people who have lost their ceremonies and sharing them and bridging that, you know, connection between the tribes. So it's very much more intertribal in a way. Um, yeah. Sundance is intense, right? I mean, what drew you to that experience? Uh, it's very intense. Your mother, <laughs> I guess. I mean, she took you into that world. Yeah. Yeah. She was my first introduction for sure into that, you know, growing up with her dancing, you know, and she went through her journey with it. She danced for eight years. Um, it's a, it happens in four year commitments and often people who are dancing, they dance their entire lives. You know, it doesn't necessarily stop ever. They say for a sun dancer, yeah, four years equals one basically cycle one year. Um, so I'm in my first cycle right now and I just came out of it just before, but not even two weeks ago. So it was very intense. Came in right out. Like I mentioned the first time I danced, I went to that one festival. This time we went to arise and now beloved. And now I'm here. And it's been pretty, pretty intense, pretty incredible. Um, it's kind of what I've learned from the process now, now being through my second year is, is really how incredibly potent and powerful it is to put your, your entire physical being, your psychological, your emotional, spiritual being through such a process of, of, of difficult challenge. I mean, literally on all levels. I mean, no food, no water, four days, dancing from sunrise to sunset, sweating two rounds in the morning, two rounds at night sleeping out in the arbor, like out in the elements, and then going through that in your body, also all the preparation and, and going through the piercing ceremony, part of the ceremony, all of that is like, it, it forms you. It's, it's, I much equate it to like a stone in the river getting tumbled. It's like, it literally knocks off all these edges and helps to smooth you out and form you into something more beautiful. And, so you're, and you're more and, not, and stronger. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, no. Yeah. You are, it's sort of like a vision quest in the sense of four days without food or water, you said? No food and no water, yeah. And you're dancing, but then part of that time is also, uh, you probably have to give us some background here about the, I know a bit about the Sundance and the piercing <laughs> ceremony, but as much as you're willing to share, I think people might want to know the structure of this ceremony a little bit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's pretty deep, but I'll, I'll get, try to give you the cliff notes. Um, so it's it's essentially it takes place over the course of nine days, um, four days of preparation, purification, and then four days of the actual dance, 
and then there's a final day, which is when we do a chanupa ceremony, which chanupa is the, is the peace pipe. And so we'll do that where all the dancers bring their pipes there. And it's kind of like a new year for us. We, we, we do that ceremony around the tree. Um, the ceremony takes place in, a, in an arbor, a very large like ring circle, if you will, with kind of a, a shade structure around the outer edge. That's for like supporters and families and, and the drummers, the singers. So they're in the shade. And then in the middle of this of this circle is in the center is uh, often a cottonwood tree, which is our sacred tree that we that we harvest and we bring there, and and uh, it's what we pray to, we work with. It's it's basically this instrument that connects us to the divine there, um, anchoring the whole ceremony. And um, and then yeah, through that course we prepare our bodies. We're sweating, we're building everything, preparing all the grounds. And then we go through a whole process of a, of a tree ceremony where the process where we bring that tree in and we take down the previous year's tree and we tie up our prayers to it and also our ropes, which will be used subsequently for the piercing rounds. And then during the four days, once we start the, the actual four days of the dance, we essentially each day is consists of multiple rounds where in the very first thing before sunrise, we sweat, we purify, um, we don't drink water but we're sweating two rounds. And then we enter into the arbor. We dance multiple rounds. Um, there's various different prayers that are done in that dance um, for different intentions, everything from honoring those who've passed on to doing healings on people, whatever is needed. That's where the chiefs and sh- sub-chiefs kind of like direct us as the dancers. We're basically, we're, we're essentially the offering. You know, we are the men, we wear skirts. It's like, it's like the tobacco. We're basically the tobacco being wrapped in the husk of the corn husk and being offered to the sun, you know, to the creator. Um, and so it's very symbolic, many levels that way. And the, each of us is in our own prayer. Each of us is there to hold prayers for all our communities, all of our villages, all of our families for the entire planet. Um, it's very much an ancient technology. And that's kind of one of going back to your question before of like, what made you choose to do this? It took me 26 years to finally say yes. Um, my, my mother, you know, had given me my, my pipe stone to make my own chanupa back when I was 12. And, you know, she told me when you're ready, you'll finish it. And I wasn't ready for a long time. That stone just was left in my, you know, in my belongings there for a long time. And finally, one of my uncles uh, who sponsored me to dance, he we were doing a sweat at my dad's house and on solstice and he comes out and he, to shake my hand and he's like, okay, so you're going to dance this year. And, and before I could even think about it in my head and rationalize, I said, uh-huh. And I was like, what, mm. what are you doing? And my wife looks at me like, you're crazy. What do you do? What did you just say? And so, you know, over the course of another year, I went back and to support and just be there and yeah, it was, it was time. Like I, I actually ended up drumming for the ceremony. They were short on drummers and, and sitting there with, with my brothers and sisters and singing, you know, I really had this whole vision come to me that showed me, you know, the power of this technology. And like, I could see the whole tree in the center and all the prayers being made. And like, there was this huge toroidal field coming off of the tree. Like the whole arbor was a massive amplifier for the prayers that were being sent out and to heal the earth, to support the earth. And, and subsequently now having danced two years, like I really, each year I, I get another, um, more nuanced sense about this prayer and what it's about wow. for me. Well, why and do you what, think it has to be so intense? I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's, it's yeah, so it's strong. Great, it's super strong. 
And um, yeah, it's a great question. You know, that was one of the things my mother now being a, you know, a monk, a nun, she's like, I already, she didn't want me to dance. You know, she was like, you're great. Like, you don't need to do that. I already suffered for us. You don't have to go through this. Like she kind of trying to protect her son kind of thing, you know? And mm. I was like, well, you know, this is what spirit's calling me to do right now. And and for me, what has been true for me and what has been revealed to me in that prayer has, has very much been a, a sense about what it, the importance of the death and how death is so central to all of life. And for life to be, there has to be death. Like understanding that connection, which often in our society, we're very afraid of. We don't even talk about it. It's almost taboo. It's the thing that we kind of, you know, it's the last conversation anyone wants to have. And when you bring yourself into this kind of a ceremony, it's truly an embodiment of, of connecting to death, of really bringing the veil so thin by taking your body, you know, your soul, everything through the eye of the needle and coming to the very brink of what am I, what's left and it's spirit. And when you really connect to what is left and it's still there dancing in prayer rather than in its mind thinking about, oh my God, how thirsty I am, how hungry I am, how hot I am, how miserable I am. It's like you transcend that misery by literally going and staying with your prayer and sending those prayers out to every single person, every being you've ever encountered along your walk and beyond. And they're all there with you. And that's what's incredible. You're just literally in that prayer constantly for those four days. It's, it's the most powerful thing. And the thing I didn't finish telling you about the format is that over the course of the four days, we do uh, a, a p- multiple piercing rounds, at least one per day. And different dancers will choose, you know, when they want to pierce. Um, but like, you know, so we'll do that. And the piercing round basically is, is one, it's kind of what's most sensationalized people when they hear of Sundance, you know, they, they think of that the most, but it's really very, it's, it's not that it's minute part, but it's a small part of the greater ceremony. Um, but for instance, we, we will pierce and that's when we tie up to the tree and we dance with that, you know, connected to the tree and then we break and different people will do that in different ways. I won't get into right now, but, um, that's a really big part of the prayer. It's a part where you really, as a man specifically in this ceremony comes out of very old lineage where it was historically a men's ceremony. Only nowadays the women also dance and children sometimes dance too. They don't necessarily pierce or they pierce it's symbolic. But the men doing the piercings comes out of, this is what I was taught by one of my elders, comes out of a tradition of men learning to honor the feminine and helping us to really be able to just experience directly and embody a little bit of the pain and the suffering that women endure to give life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's that's an incredible way of looking at it. It's It's profound. And when I really got that, it really helped me my first year dancing and um, and I felt that immediately, like the moment the piercings went into my chest, um, and I, you know, I go to the tree and we pray and then we dance for four rounds dancing connectors, to the tree, and then we, we pull back basically to the point where the flesh breaks on the last one. And then we, then they cut that flesh that's dangling there. And then they, we put it into a cloth and we bury it in the tree. We make it as a, a prayer and offering. And in that moment, you know, it was so clear to me, you know, all the beings that I'd ever killed, all, all of the different relatives, everything from like cockroaches to mosquitoes, everything that I've ever, any meat or any animal that I'd ever had part in basically it's sacrificed so that I could live. They all came to me in a vision and I was just, you know, weeping and just seeing them. And all I could do is ask for forgiveness. 
and like and pray for them and, and honor them that by me living in a good way in right relationship i'm honoring their death i'm honoring the life that they had and so it's like fully connecting that cycle um in a way that i you know it's like it doesn't always make sense cognitively or just talking about it it's like it's an embodied visceral experience of that if that makes sense yeah, I mean, when you're saying this, uh, it's a visceral experience in my body. I mean, I'm thinking about <laughs> the at first when I think about the men doing this. Of course, my Western mind's like, oh, this patriarchal type thing. But then when you can <laughs> say it like, so they can suffer in a way of honoring what women inherently go through as the progenitors of life. You know, exactly. like women they are the sort of the doorway into life, and through that is this a lot of pain involved in that in addition to everything else like the pleasure and the joy but there's a lot of pain physical pain and, and then when i think about everything you're saying about sundance i mean first off thank you for suffering for oh. others in a way but um i just think how soft we are now and mm -hmm. honestly i get filled with a lot of like um grief and dread that we're just fucked it's like mm -hmm how can we pa go through a passage as a civilization individuals at a time when things are never have been more critical and yet at the same time things have never been more soft mm -hmm. more and, comfortable more comfortable and and there's there's no one very few people are walking into such an initiation or any kind of ceremony that mm -hmm. just very few people that really is, involves a fire and i'm just of course part of me wants to say you don't need the fire or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, the fire is a choice. And then I'm just starting to think, I'm like, is it? I don't know. I mm. don't know. I don't, maybe, I, maybe there's many different doorways. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I believe there are many different doorways uh, for sure. And, and ultimately I think it is important that we go through some doorway. And I think everyone will in some way, shape or form. I mean, it, it will look differently yeah. for, for everyone. And I feel there's something to be said about bringing some intention and, and actually seeking out whatever that doorway is for you, but one that is going to truly challenge you. And so I, I you know, you kind of hit it, the nail on the head. It's like in our society, you know, and I speak that from the place of living in the United States, you know, Western American, European societies, we've lost our rites of passages. We don't really have that. Like the closest thing we get, right, is, is you graduate high school you get a driver's license. So now you can go and get alcohol. Like those are like our rites of passages and they're very, they're not guided well. I mean, maybe fraternities, sororities at a college, which is also very sick, very twisted, teaching all kinds of ways of being and how to, you know, create brotherhood and sisterhood, but around drinking and around partying and around um, rape culture. And I mean, all kinds of things that are just really, we then see then taken into the corporate world, right? And these massive transnational corporations that are now, in our leadership and influencing all our leadership. So it's, it's really, it's really, it's very sick at a very core level. And it, and it's not because it was like, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't think it's like a thing that was meant to be sick. I feel like it's just, it's been distorted through all the distortions over time. And what I feel is so important. And, and there's a hunger for this. And I say this because I see it happening um, in the emergence of like men's groups, I've been seeing lately a lot more of this work where men coming together and seeking out ways to be able to, you know, like the Mankind Project, or um, there's a couple other groups here in California, for instance, the West Coast, at least that I've seen recently, that are inspiring. I'm like, okay, men getting together and actually talking about these things, working through these things as peers, and as a support for one another. And 
creating rites of passage ceremonies for each other. And I feel like yeah. that, you know, that's so needed right now in a big way. And beyond that, it's needed for our children, you know, and helping like young men coming into their own and young women. Inherently, I feel women do a better job of this just naturally. You know, women get together and process things and, you know, have women time. But men generally, it's like, especially societally, we find it, you know, it's through like, let's go to the bar, let's get drunk, let's go to a, you know, a strip club or whatever, those kind of things. It's like, yeah, it's like, where, where are those healthy, deep connections where we get the, the chance to really go through a fire together and with our brothers and, and then emerge from that stronger? You know, like, it's like, it's truly like the diamond, you know, the coal getting crushed and formed into the diamond. It's like, you need those experiences. Yeah, and I agree completely that it's not much part of our society, certainly Western society anymore. And I also agree that in some ways the soul sets up what needs to happen. Like we face, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we face tragedy and problems all, uh, that you can't run from that stuff. And it's right. sort of like the stage will be set. But nonetheless, I don't know, man. I mean, you sound a little more optimistic about... Um, it just seems like this stuff is being pulled out of our worlds and our lives. I'm certainly in the circles we're in, it, we see more of it, but yeah, uh, we're like a careening over a cliff without any elders, you know, as a culture. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Right. And you, I know, you know, this in the music you've done, I think you've worked with hospice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the work, it's like when we see kind of what are we doing with our children and our elders, our elders were sticking into homes and then our children we put into daycare. And it's like there's this total separation that's happened in our modern society where the generations, intergenerational connection and communication has been really broken down at a core level. And I feel that's a big part of why there's so much sickness and dis-ease, you know, societally speaking is that we don't have like our elders passing on this wisdom of what it is to be old, what it is to face mortality. And our youngest children are totally like separated as well. So, and the working kind of adults, if you will, they're like in the middle doing their thing and it's all been segmented. Whereas historically, right? It's all about grandma and grandpa hanging out with the little ones. They are the babysitters and, you know, everyone's around the fire and telling story and, and making song. Well, everyone's trying to get out there and they, they may kind of, I don't know if I blame people as much as they're, they're like, Oh, I got to work, you know, we're totally. this whole system of like, they have to go to work and then they have to have someone to watch the kids. And then, right. Which comes back to what you asked me in the beginning is like, how are we interfacing this machine that we find ourselves in <laughs> that, you know, we're some way part of co-creating. And so it's like, how do we, what is the roadmap, if you will, of helping to, to find the way back? I feel, and I feel like it's not impossible. There are ways, and I, and that's, I guess that's kind of, for me as a musician, as an artist, and maybe you agree with this, it's like, I feel, I I feel that we're in a time to really create the soundtrack, if you will, to that migration, to that transition, as we Mm. find our way back to what is it to be in circle again? What is it to break out of the hierarchies? What is it to come back to the round table and to revision what is it is to live in community and society? what it is to, in a gentrified downtown, you know, you name whatever city, you know, what's happening? How do we bring everyone back in rather than this alienation of everyone going to like their technology, you know, to their light box and just being so connected, at least on the surface, but actually more disconnected than ever. And how do we come back to that right relationship with fire, 
which I, I often talk about, you know, for me, fire and technology are the same thing. All our tech is, it puts off heat. It is fire. It's an evolution of our fire. But if we come back down to the primordial relationship to us as fire keepers, you know, we're, that's our birthright as two legged as human beings is we're meant to tend to fire. We're the only animals that have that relationship with grandfather fire. And so it's our responsibility to take good care of that fire so that we don't burn everything and that instead we use fire to illuminate and to help the rest of the planet. Well, all of our energy is from blowing shit up. You know, it's, <laughs> it's combustion. It's all about yeah. burning. Yeah. Right. Um, right. But even our bodies, that's how we run. We eat food and create heat and totally warmth as warm blooded animals. But you're totally right. Uh, it's a kind of like a blind responsibility right now. Yeah. Uh, about, you know, sort of how we walk on the planet. It just feels like a planet of uh, young souls or people who are just sort of like largely just not fully aware of their, their actions. I, I just heard something yesterday uh-huh. in the news that kind of personified this for me where Donald Trump uh, is making his own straws or something because <laughs> it's 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 a, against the movement saying like you know straws are bad for animals and the environment and so forth so instead of just saying i disagree it's like oh then we're going to like make more and put maga on it to say like screw you you know uh, like it's like right. a lo- not it's beyond just being asleep it's saying like i'm going to make it worse just to stick my thumb in your eye right and totally it's i mean it's just like ineptitude that's hard to understand about just wanting to be mean, you know, just wanting to feel on top and feeling little and wanting to feel big. Yeah. And it's, it's there's an, old, an energy of that going around on our planet where it's like, it's hard to fight that when it's really just about wounds that people have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel that therein lies the, the actual conundrum to the whole thing is that it's like fighting it, right? It's the fighting. And one of the things that I really was shown to me through the Sundance, through ceremony this, this year, right now, just a couple of weeks ago when I was out there, you know, under the sun, it was as, as men, especially all of the men, there was like on the third day, there was a very long, like three plus hour round. And I saw it and everyone's energy was really going down. Like it was a very hard round. Everyone to stay up and dance. And what I, what it was kind of shown to me was that that ceremony is so young. It's like the sun you know, all of the things, like all of the, you, know, you get to power through this thing, right? And it's like, you know, you're dealing with all this pain and suffering, intensity, masculine, if you will, uh, young energy. And in that moment, it dawned on me, it's like, what is being done is this alchemy that is inviting us as, as those dancers there to, as men, to actually be the water and to actually really embody the yin element, the allowing, the surrendering, letting it be and like not fighting it. And the moment that I was able to then drop into that and allow my body to just really surrender and, and, and let it receive fully the energy of the sun, my, my whole body shifted, my whole energy body like, uh, like up-leveled, if you will. Like I felt more energy rather than feeling like I was just being beat down. Um, and just in the same way, like I feel with Trump, you know, it's such an energy of this resistance and then this like more of him. It's like, it's, it's like almost, it's asking us all as a society collectively, like how do we bring love to this? How do we literally love this in a way and bring compassion that it's like, even if he's going to spit in our face after slapping us and after wounding us, it's like, how do we still bring our dignity and compassion and model that compassion the same way the earth has modeled it to us? 
even though we pour all our plastic and trash into the oceans and into the planet, it's like she still grows all our nourishment. She still supports us every single day, right? With so much abundance. And so it's like that same wave that like that primordial mother energy of how do we love? And then through that love, there's suddenly some kind of space. There's some kind of little twinkle of transformation that's possible. Versus if we keep just fighting and just bring more masculine energy of like the mean, you know, the father, the brute, the, you know, the warrior energy, and it just creates more of the same. It's, it's yeah, really, I, I couldn't agree more. Sense. It's fire breeds fire. Yeah. It's like the solution out of it is never to resist, well, or fight in a sense. I mean, Charles Eisenstein talks about that a lot. It's sort mm. of like, uh, you have to kind of love our way out of it um, because, you know, there's no us, the us versus them mentality versus more of a holistic, we're all in the same thing. And it is kind of uh, a hippie idea, but I, he's right. He's right <laughs> that, you know, you, you, we can't, we can't fight our way out of it. It's sort of like that's, it's, it's fighting the problem with the problem in a way. And, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not frustrating it's, oh, it's no. frustrating that very much. You know, it's like you have to sometimes just face a level of ineptitude. It just feels like blind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No. Believe me. If I I go through all of the all of the different waves of feelings around it, and I, you know, like I said, it's it's so fascinating to me. Like going through the ceremony has really shown me that. Though it's like you go yeah. through all this young, all this warrior energy. You know, historically, you know, warriors would sun dance before they'd go into battle, when they were fighting, you know, the U S military back in the day, like that was, they'd be doing Sundance and then go out into battle. Like it was like to, to gather up all their medicine and energy and power to be able to go yeah. in and face their death. Cause they've already faced their death. So then it's like, there's no fear left. And so it's really, um, it's so interesting, you know, it's like, and as I go through that now, the prayer is different. It's not about preparing me to go out and fight. It's about preparing me to cultivate my inner strength, the deepest strength, like the deepest rooted strength that connects me to the source. And in that place, nothing can take my power. I'm fully inhabiting my entire being. And so there's no room for that. It's like, you know, if that makes sense, it's like you bring them this presence that is, yeah. yeah. And, what and, and parallels and all, <laughs> do you find with that and psychedelics, like a psychedelic journey compared to the Sundance journey? You know, I feel, I feel definitely there's, there's, um, there's a lot of parallel in, in various ways. You know, it, it's kind of, it's interesting, you know, I've, I'm definitely, I've had a long, long history and, and been steeped in ceremony and working also with plant teachers for many, for many lifetimes, if you will. And I know that one of the things that has called me to finally say yes to, to the red road in the way that I'm walking it now and working with with ceremony in this way is I've been called to poor lodge. And the way that we do that is to become a sun dancer, the traditional way. I mean, obviously people pour lodge, you know, rainbow lodge, more like open like that, not a traditional nipi, but I feel really called that this is the way to honor that road and honor where that comes from is to go through this portal. And I understand why we do that is that it cultivates the strength in you and the knowledge and the experience, just like someone who goes down to the jungle and does dieta, for years and years and years before they ever even think about pouring a ceremony and holding, taking that responsibility of, of safe passage and stewarding others 
in that medicine space because it's a huge responsibility. It's like there's a reason yeah. why you don't hand a scalpel to just anybody, right? Who's not a brain surgeon who hasn't gone through all those years and the training and the hardship of like no sleep, right? Going through medical school and and whatnot in the residencies is a reason because when we go through those processes, we emerge, you know, more refined um, and more masterful. And it's the mastery that's key in these processes. And so for me, that I really feel called to do that through Lodge and just using the elements, fire, water, air, earth, and then our spirit. Because when I see that what's possible, the healing that's possible, just using just the elements, it's so deep and so profound. And we don't need to have something external beyond that, in fact. And I feel what happens oftentimes with medicine, plant medicine teachers, is that people will very much fall into like uh, this notion that they have to always go back there. Like that's the only way to access these realms or to, to you know, to really feel connected. Feel yeah. connected, exactly. It's kind of, it's only through the teacher. And I often will remind people, it's like, it's just like a guru. You know, you can't always sit there with the guru. You have to take those lessons now and now live them, integrate them. You know, if you're just always going back to the teacher, where is your own mastery and teacher? It can never emerge, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would you say to people who maybe are listening to this and the things that come up in their mind are like, look, I live in Kansas City and I don't have access to this or for whatever reason, I'm just terrified about I'm not going to be in a sweat. I'm not going to do a sun dance. What do I do? Is it, you know, they might feel hopeless. They, you know, how do they walk through the fire and access that water energy? in this modern time on an individual level while we're swimming inside this capitalism, uh, this sort of, this dream. Hmm. What do you say to that? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I feel like each Not person- that I need the answer, in them, but yeah. I'm not sure what comes up for you, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's it's a very, it's a very big question that is is totally unique to each individual and what their soul's calling is and, and, you know, where they're coming from, who are their ancestors, where, what is, what is, what are they able to connect to beyond, beyond Christmas and Halloween <laughs> advertising, <laughs> you know, like Christmas really, like, and Halloween. you know, like yeah. what, cause right. Cause Christmas is like our, our celebration of birth, birth of Christ. And otherwise the, one of the biggest consuming days of is the it? year, <laughs> you know, exactly. Is it? And then you, and then you have, of course, like Halloween, which is, in in other cultures, it's it's where we celebrate the dead. Instead, it's become yeah. another big. Let's buy candy, buy a bunch of shit, and you know, and it's totally twisted. And Thanksgiving, there you go again, and Black Friday, right? All these things have been turned into consumer, uh, you know, ex- consumer um, events, happenings, right? Uh, not or, Valentine's Day, sir. That oh, one's yeah, yeah. still that sacred. One's still sacred. Love. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so I mean, right? All the all the ha- hallmark uh, happenings of the year. And, and I just, I guess what I, I'm speaking to that just in that I invite whoever's listening is to tune into your grandmother and your grandfather, tune into their grandparents, tune into where, when you go back beyond what you were just socialized into as your, you know, what you're supposed to do at this time of year, what you're supposed to, what is your ceremonies that were giving you by society, go beyond that and invite you to do some research and to and to look into that and go back and find where where those roots are because I trust trust me they are there they've just been forgotten 
And I feel as, as two legged as human beings, we, we are notorious for forgetting. We're super forgetful beings. We've forgotten so much. And it's really, it's the onus is on us to go back and to do the work and actually go find out, go sit with grandma and grandpa, even if they're there in that home and they barely, you know, can interact with you in the way you want them to, but go sit with them and, and glean some stories from them and a little bit of their history, because that is, that is, that narrative is part of the fabric that connects you back to your origin. And that origin is a very important thread. And it has, it has, I think, a really significance in, in un, unraveling the mystery of the medicine you need now. And I, I really believe mm -hmm. that to be true. You know, it's like, what is that medicine? And it goes back. And sometimes we access that by sitting in ceremony. Because one of the masterful, amazing things about working with onguitos, los niños, you know, the, the, the mazatecas, or working with, um, you know, madre ayahuasca, you know, yaje, or working with, you know, Wachuma uh, uh, or Iboga, all of these teachers, they carry the ability to uh, awaken us and tap into our cellular memory and help us to get out of our, our just, you know, our shallow memory. Um, and that's something that they gift us with. And so in that portal, we'll often remember things and we'll have the visions. Now, there's other ways to receive those visions. You can go and you can sit in those 10-day Vipassana meditation. You're going to get a vision. You can go and go through the Sundance ceremony. You're going to get a vision or, or you know, Wamblicha and go do, you know, vision quest. There's various ways to receive visions. And sometimes you could be sitting in a factory job on a factory line and suddenly you receive a vision. Sometimes that happens too. You know, it's not that it has to be those things, but give yourself the space and time, whoever's out there listening and, and give yourself the space and time to do that work. Um, don't just be complacent and comfortably numb, as Pink Floyd says. You know, that's really, I believe, the piece that gets us in our modern society. Capitalism is all about uh, disempowering us, making us feel like we're no longer creators and authors, making us passive consumers. So just do what you're told. And it's totally a way to control society. I mean, it's obvious. It's like if we're all just passively doing, buying more stuff to try to fill the emptiness within us, then we're not going to be worrying ourselves with why are things messed up? Why is Trump able to get away with doing the things he's doing? Why are various leaders around the planet right now doing this massive power grab? Then all of a sudden, we're actually, no, that's not okay anymore. And when we wake up to that and we start to connect to our true authentic power, no one can take that from us. And that's the presence that then mobilizes the masses and creates the next revolution, the next transformational revolution which I feel we're on the precipice of. And it's, it's kind of interesting to watch and to be, you know, in it as an artist and traveling around the world and watching, like, it's just building right now. And it is happening. Um, I believe that, you know, what it's going to look like, no one really knows. I'm, I don't presume to know, but I do feel like there is a massive transformational event happening. And I don't think it's just, you know, Kurzweil's singularity. I feel like it's much bigger than that. Um, I don't think it's as simple as just the AI is going to take over, but you know, that's, I'm not a psychic. So I do know that right now, what matters is what we choose today. Like right now, like waking up grouchy and like having a miserable day, I could choose to be a total a-hole to my loved one. Right. Or I can choose, even though I feel all the stuff I'm feeling to acknowledge it and then to choose love and choose to be kind. And if I can choose that, over and over again, the more times I do, it's like working out a muscle. It's like, then it's like, man, that presence and that compassion, that changes the whole game. And so no, whatever, whoever the puppet is up at the top there 
Trump or otherwise, it doesn't matter what they do because on the bottom of the pyramid, it's strong and it's full of love, overflowing. And that's that's my personal take. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I always felt like with uh, people talking about 2012 and the transformation that mm. it's underway. It's just something that's generational. It's not something that we see happening overnight. And, you know, it's happening, yeah, every moment with every thought we have. And these things that you're talking about that we've been kind of like sort of power grabs and money grabs, you know, that's that's something that's been going on probably since forever. Forever. Going back to the Stone Age. And so it's really humanity growing up in a way. And I think the reason we have to is because now it's such a global society and mm. we are interconnected. Our choices that we make affect the whole planet and with, whether it's global warming or economics uh, or nuclear energy and fallout, these things just affect everywhere. We no longer have the luxury of saying even someone like Alexander the Great of screwing up something over whole generations or, mm. uh, Genghis Khan, it's like even those things were absorbed. And now, not so much. Like some of these mistakes pretty much ruin it all. Yeah. And so we're forced to say, okay, it's time to start. We have to now start making choices. Otherwise, this just isn't going to happen anymore. It's not going to work anymore. Yeah. And these are the reckonings that that happen in our personal lives where you're forced to make change. Unfortunately, that's that's kind of the way it works with humans. Like we we have to be pushed pretty hard to uh, go through those rites of passages mm. to burn away that which is in our way. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's really interesting how you do that in a Sundance and you're kind of choosing to go into that fire and burn away the stuff that's clouding. Yeah. Yeah. Which you can't see. Exactly. And as a, and in doing so, bringing the sense of what is it to be living the prayer? What is it to be praying, but also like to bring prayer into like, your total being, like why you're on this earth, what is it to be driven by that prayer? You know, I, I feel like I, I conceptually kind of understood that before, but it's a whole different thing to be living that on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, and the grandmothers, they'll say they're at the Sundance, they'll kind of scold us, you know, all of us dancers. And they'll be like, you know, this isn't like a weekend warrior thing. They'll be like, you got to you got to live this every day. You can't forget, you know, remember this tree, remember your commitment. And there's a lot to that mm-hmm. teaching, you know, it's like all of us, whatever that commitment is, you know, it doesn't have to be just for Sundance. It's like, what is, what is at the core? You know, are we just going through the motions when we go to work, when we're working our eight to five, whatever that is, you know, are we just going through motions or what, how can we bring our presence you know, our compassion, our heart, our, our creativity, even to those mundane you know, apparently mundane moments. How do we bring the, 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 you know, those peak experiences of sitting with, with, you know, the grandfathers and grandmother teachers, the plant medicines, how do we bring those peak experiences and integrate them truly into our day to day? I feel like that component is a piece that's largely overlooked and, and not really talked about and not really, you know, embodied is like that integration. Yeah. Piece. That's the integration. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but for yourself, I mean, when you hear that from the grandmothers in the Sundance saying like, this is not a weekend warrior thing, you need to like right. walk the walk. Right. How does that look for you? How do, how do you bring it into your moment to moment outside 
that intensity of the sun dance? Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's an ongoing dance. So for me, it's uh, you know, I mean, I can only speak to like right now. You know, we we get here to this place, and it's like you know, no, all the things were not as we were told they were going to be, and. You know, my wife is very kind of uh, sensitive, very sensitive human being. She has, she's um, extra sensory, if you will, perception. And so she's really, you know, disturbed when things are like not well in the field energetically. And so she's in a real oh, bad. I would have bailed. What? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. She, she would have like been like, let's go somewhere else. This is, we're not doing this, you know, kind of thing. But it's like that whole thing of like me is like, okay, how can I hold her with love? just be here for her, not try to fix it, you know, like, like the masculine, like default is like, Oh, I want to problem solve this and make it right. It's like, how can I just hold space? How can I just love her unconditionally? And then also hold my team, you know, the other people who are with us and our crew, like also just support them and what they need. And just, you know, doing all that with compassion is like, that's just being walking the talk, you know, it's like, how do I do that? Instead of being like, you know what, I want to just go smoke a joint and have alone time right now. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, like, that's not the road. It's like, this is it. Let me, let me face this. Let me hold space for this. Um, so that's happened today, you know, and how can we make it all work so I could be here on the podcast and, you know, just juggling all those things is how I guess, you know, where, where the, where my feet, you know, hit the ground and how I can really show up. Um, and then when I get out there, you know, and make my offering to and perform tomorrow, for instance, with the full moon overhead, is how do I bring my full presence and in that presence, get out of the way. And I really mean that in a big way. Like for me, and I don't know for you, like when you loop, but for me, it's, it's very much like I don't have ever a preset thing that I'm going to do. Like I never think about, oh, I'm going to do this and then this and that, or I'm going to play this song. It's like, for me, it's very much a, a sense of I'm going to get out of the way and see what wants to happen. And it may be amazing or it may be totally terrible. And I'm not going to let that sway me. I'm going to just stay true to the intention of bringing through the most powerful prayer I can possibly bring for this moment, for this space, for these people, for seen and unseen beings. And that's been, that's been the guiding force for me. Um, and, and as I continue to do this, it just gets stronger and stronger. And I'm so grateful for that because at first I was like, wow, Sundance in the middle of festival season, that's just going to destroy me. I don't know how I'm going to even <laughs> recover and be out here. And what I found is the opposite. Like I feel stronger than ever being able to come out here. It has, it's it sort, I find that I'm able to resource from a place that I didn't even know existed, which has really been amazing. And, and, um, I'm grateful for that, you know, and it's humbling. It's like literally it just humbles you. And when you've been so humbled, like literally and physically, you, you kind of like, you really get like how strong we actually are. I think we as human beings do not give ourselves enough credit. It's like, you know, maybe if you're a Navy SEAL, you know, and I've heard this, I, I listened to an interview once with these Navy SEALs and they're like, when they're swimming like these, I don't know, for miles at nighttime in cold, frigid water. And it's like, they're like, when you think you're done, you don't have another like, you know, arm stroke that you could possibly muster it's like you've only tapped into and they've found this with these seals like i don't know like 40 percent of your capacity you have like all this more that you haven't even tapped into yet but it's like we don't ever push ourselves to those extremes to really know and discover the amount that we really have available to us so yeah that's been inspiring to me, just seeing that unfold for myself in this process. Yeah. Well, I don't want you to burn out, man. Yeah, uh, definitely I want not. You to, to keep, 
I mean, just just being out there performing in all these different places and the traveling is feels extreme to me. And adding in a Sundance into the mix, um, <laughs> and holding holding what you're holding with authenticity and integrity, you know, it's uh, there's there's the other side of the yin and the yang where yeah, you need to restore and. Uh, maybe you need to go take that time and smoke that joint because you need the time to be like, no, this is time where I'm not just outlaying and giving and I need to rebuild. Yeah. And I need to have, I need to turn off for a bit. Oh, totally. And that's okay too. <laughs> thank, thank you, brother. And I'm sure you do that. <laughs> no, and we do. Go and, smoke the joint. Yeah, go smoke the joint. <laughs> I think right now what... um like we were, t- you asked me before, like, what's my ideal year? I feel like that's definitely, that's what I'm working towards. It's kind of like the goal right now is it's very much, we're kind of in a, in the grind, if you will, in the, in a big push right now. Um, and, and it's been, you know, it's been good. It's been a really wonderful thing. And it's been, we're being received by more and more people who are, we're able to share our music and our prayer with, and it's resonating with them. Um, it was really powerful, like our offerings at Beloved and Arise. And I feel like, Right now, we're in this interesting moment where it's like it's it's all hands on deck, and I'm very much you know aware and and looking on the horizon. That, okay, there's going to be that period here in the winter where it's introspection time and time to recharge, and yeah, so definitely I'm holding that in a big way, and it's it's all hands on deck right now. So yeah, how, and then I guess there, the, what comes out of that is how can I do those little things, take that time, you know, what are the the self care that I can prioritize in that. Cause you're absolutely right. You got to put your mask on first and then you put it on, you know, your children. So <laughs> it's an, it's that constant, you know, dance of how do you do that in a good way? I'm definitely still learning humble student <laughs> in all yeah. of this. We're all humble students, man. And, um, you know, I appreciate that we were able to cross paths recently and get Me a little too. time to chat and, you know, maybe we can, do it again sometime and I don't want to take too much of your time. Sounds like you guys need to just like, you need to go smoke that joint, <laughs> be alone, maybe find a sauna or something, get a massage, you know, just be like, get a little porangi time. Obrigado. Thank you, bro. Yeah. I'm grateful for the opportunity, man. Really, really sweet to connect with you finally too. And yeah, love, loved having that, that sweet little drop in back in Boulder, Utah there. So let's, um, yeah, let's make some yeah. music sometime, bro. Yeah. How do folks connect with you? What's the best way to link into your world? Yeah, um, th- through my website, it's probably one of the best ways, porangi.com, P-O-R-A-N-G-U-I. And we have um, a bunch of things there on the events page. The email list is the best way. Um, you know, we do the social media thing, but, you know, it's not in our power. That's totally corporate America running that that machine there. So fortunately the email still is very direct. So people just sign up on our newsletter through the website and then we let them know when we're in their area and all the retreats and the offerings that we're doing. There's a bunch coming up actually this year from Spain to Portugal to Australia, Hawaii, um, Arizona, Sedona. So people definitely look us up that way. And um, all our music, we love to share it through our, through our band camp. Um, but we're on the Spotify and the iTunes and all that. But Bandcamp, as you know, is the best way that people can actually support us as artists. So, yeah. Okay. Thank, thank cool. you, bro. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you too, bro. That's what's up. That's what's up. I really appreciated talking to you, Mr. Porengi. I'm sure we'll 
crossed paths again because there are so many times before where we were crossing paths. This music that you're hearing in the background is a track of his. It's called Canto de la Selva, and it's pretty cool. Thank you for reviewing the podcast. Thank you for saying hello. You can do that at info at eastforest.org. I hope to see you on the road. Check out the tour dates, sign up for the mailing list on the website, and then you'll know when and where we shall be. In the meantime, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, anybody. But if you do, remember what to do. You do it with grace. Si puedo 